If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Jeremiah 29, 11 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, but let me introduce to you a new series that we're going to be starting this morning called Twisted, Commonly Misused Verses. You know, we have a habit of taking words or phrases and ascribing them to the Word of God that aren't in there. For instance, maybe you've heard, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that before? If you can find me the reference to that verse, then you win a million dollars this morning. Because it's not in there, right? Or how about this? Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Have you heard that before? Uh, you know, we really like that at our house. We're a little OCD about things. But guess what? That's not in the Bible either. Right? It's not something we can turn to and find. Or, for instance, thou shalt be a Kentucky basketball fan. As much as I want it to be in there, and I've looked for it and tried to find it, it's just, it's not in there. Other times we take passages of Scripture and twist and manipulate them to fit what we want it to say. Right? And maybe you've you've heard people do this before and you shudder, but, but I want to look at, over the course of the next, actually, couple of months, some verses that you and I probably misuse. Some verses that we have twisted uh, to to fit our own agenda. The the truth is, I'm good at ruining things, and so over the next two months, I may ruin some of your favorite verses, and I I want to apologize. I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm not ruining them for you. Instead, what I'm doing is helping you to, to apply them. I know what ruining is. I've ruined religious things before. Just recently, uh, I've heard a a prayer prayed my entire life that has just recently, over the last couple of years, been ruined for me. And maybe you've heard someone pray a prayer similar to this. Lord, I just want a hedge of protection around this person. Have you heard the hedge of protection prayer before? Yeah, and and you know, it's a wonderful prayer. I actually just figured out this morning during Sunday school where that came from. And and that's where where Job, in the book of Job, God is talking to to Satan and he talks about having a wall of protection, this hedge of protection. Can I tell you, I had a Christian comedian ruin that phrase for me. Completely ruin it. And I want to share with you so I can ruin it for you as well. Hey, Jordan, do you have that video you want to play this morning? I think the way we pray is it, prayer is a prayer is a powerful thing but i think it's when you grow up in church it's just you hear prayers all the time in different styles and stuff and little quirks that people have when they pray i don't know little phrases that i don't understand to this day but we use the phrases but we, that's just what we heard growing up we think that's just the right thing to say when we pray you know like hedge of protection you ever hear that I hear that a lot hedge of protection damn we are praying a hedge of protection around you buddy that's right a hedge <laughs> around you and your whole family. Go ahead, huh? I don't mean to complain. Is that the best you can do? How about a thick cement wall? With some razor wire on top of that bad boy. Head to protect a good set of clippers get right through that thing. I'm sure the devil's got a set of those. I mean, you think a hedge is going to scare the devil away? What is this greenery? I can't get through that. Move that bush. My greatest weakness is landscaping. How do they know? So have I officially ruined that phrase for you now? Now, I hope that all of you will pray a thick concrete wall of protection around me and my whole family. 
I, I want to tell you this morning, I, I have no intention of ruining these verses for you over the next few weeks. But I hope it breaks down some preconceived, misconceived notions of what these verses mean. I actually have nine in mind that will get us all the way through uh, the month of November in, in reading and studying what these verses are. Some of them are going to be verses that, that you're very familiar with and you know the meaning behind them and, and you've been taught a certain way and, and you're going to learn that's not what that verse means. Sometimes it's, it's a right truth but applied to the wrong verse. Sometimes it's a wrong truth and something unbiblical we've been taught or we've learned that we need to make sure we're studying the Word of God for ourselves. Can I tell you something at First Baptist that we value is the Word of God, and we want to make sure it's, it's read and studied how God intended for it to be read and studied. Not with our own preconceived notions, not with our own agendas and our own ideas. And so this morning, I want to start by looking at a, a very popular verse in Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 11 and I want to read all the way through verse 13 as well so if you have your Bible you can turn with me to Jeremiah 29 we'll read verses 11 12 and 13 and they'll be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's word we would encourage you uh, to, to follow along with us Jeremiah chapter 29 starting in verse 11 says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How many of you have heard this verse before? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Have you heard that verse before? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, right? We love this as a, as a life verse. This verse is something we, we cling to and we live by. Lord, I know you want me to prosper and do well. Now, being good Baptists, okay, if you're unfamiliar with all the different denominations, uh, Baptists typically don't buy into the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel that says, if you believe in Jesus, everything good comes to you. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. So while we may twist the verse to say that, we know that's not really what it means. However, many of us still misapply this verse to think God wants to give us more than what we currently have. A lot of times we feel like we've earned something because we're a Christian. I know that God has plans for me that are going to be prosperous. Another verse we're going to look at later on in this series is Romans 8, 28. God works together for the good, all of those who love him, right? He works everything together for good. I know that at some point I'm going to feel good about my Christian faith. God wants me to prosper. And this is this is a difficult verse because we pull it way out of the context of what, what has been shared. Now, let me give you some background at, at the life of Jeremiah and what's going on here in, in chapter 29. So if you read all of the Old Testament, it'll take you a long time, but what you'll find is, is a, a common story throughout about one particular nation, the nation of Israel, that God singles out to bless and to prosper and to grow, but more importantly to be a light to the rest of the world. God wants this nation to, to shine the name of God the Father so that other nations will look to Israel and say, there is a God and we need to serve him. Israel does really good at this at times and does really poor at this at other times. 
As you read through the New Testament, you get to to kind of the the end. We're into the prophets now. We're towards the back end of this this Old Testament storyline. And the nation of Israel has become exceedingly wicked, wanting to do things on their own. And God sends Jeremiah, the prophet, to tell them that they will be captured and taken away from their country for 70 years. So this is the message Jeremiah has for the people of Israel. You have sinned so greatly that your punishment is that you will be completely obliterated by an enemy and taken as slaves to another country. This is Jeremiah's message. Well, if you just flip back a, a chapter or two, you find there's another prophet floating around, a, a man by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah is what I would refer to maybe as a prosperity prophet. <laughs> he, he wants to tell the people what they want to hear. So he starts preaching a gospel or preaching a, a prophecy and saying, listen, I know you guys have done wrong. Sin is bad. And, and God is going to punish you for two years. Not 70. It's only going to be a short time. Just endure the next couple of years and everything is going to be okay. And Jeremiah calls him out. As a matter of fact, he says, listen, God didn't say two years. God said this is a a long period of time, 70 years. And then God gives Jeremiah a prophecy that, that because of Hananiah's false truth, he's going to be slain and he's going to to die. And as much of the Old Testament often does, it doesn't go into long details. Instead, it just very shortly after that, and then it tells us Hananiah dies, right? Um, God's saying, I want it to be very clear. This is not a two-year term. You are being punished for the next 70 years. The people are obviously distressed about this, worried about this, saddened by this. Can you imagine those Israelites who were not children or adolescents thinking, in 70 years, I will not be alive. This is a a punishment for the rest of my life. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet for several reasons, but one of the reasons is Jeremiah has a big heart, and he cares about the nation of Israel. And so he takes some time in Jeremiah chapter 29 to write them a letter, re-emphasizing this is a a 70-year punishment for for the sins that your your nation has committed. But then he slides in there this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. We'll read it again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, after 70 years, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In the midst of this 70-year tribulation, the message from God is, I want to prosper you. I I want to give you a plan that involves your welfare, that gives you a, a hope. So it is important that we're not twisting the words of God at all this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's plan is our welfare. It's okay to believe that. The Bible says that. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare. Some translations say plans for your prosperity or to make you prosper. Did you know that God indeed wants what is best for your life? Did you know that? God wants you to prosper. 
He wants to meet your needs. He doesn't want you in eternal suffering. God's plan for you is welfare. That's why Jeremiah emphatically writes, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Not for tribulation. Not for trial. God says my plan for you is that you would prosper. This verse flies in the face of of our own current standing, doesn't it? Lord, I'm not prospering, and I don't feel your welfare. As a matter of fact, this verse flies in the face of some other verses when we we look at it at face value. Immediately, the verse that comes to mind is John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So Jeremiah says, I know the plans. It's for you to prosper and have welfare. Everything to go well, and and ultimately, my plans are for you to succeed. Jesus comes to the New Testament and says, but in this world, you're going to have tribulation and trouble. So which is it? God, do you want me to, to have welfare? You want me to do well, or do you want me to go through tribulation? Do you want everything to go my way, or do you want, do you want me to struggle through life? Sometimes as a Christian, I, I often sit back and go, God, if you would just tell me the whole plan, if you could just give me a little bit of advance notice, maybe I would know how to interpret these things. Do you want things to go well, or do you want me to struggle? If you tell me you want me to struggle, at least I'll know that. I'll be prepared. So what we do is we twist verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, And we decide we want the welfare. We don't want the tribulation. Lord, I want to cling to that promise. That promise that you're going to deliver me, give me prosperity, a, a welfare, not evil, not tribulation. So I'm going to apply that to my life in such a way that demands that you, God, do what I want you to do. We twist And we manipulate the word of God to fit our own circumstances. The truth is, John 16, 33 doesn't tell us that we will not ultimately prosper. It tells us that we will have tribulation. But look at the whole verse. I've said these things so that you may have peace. I've given you troubling words so that you'll be comforted. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Don't put your faith and trust in the circumstances of life to provide your welfare. Don't put your faith and trust in the things that surround us to give you happiness and prosperity. Don't put all of our attention on accumulating on this earth because this earth is nothing but trouble. Instead, Jesus says, I want to give you peace and I want you to to follow me because I have overcome the world. The truth is, and it is truth, that God's plan for us is our ultimate welfare, what is best for us and what is good for us. The problem is not in the promise, but in the timing. The truth is we want welfare and prosperity right here and right now. Maybe you've seen a book on a bookshelf called Your Best Life Now by a famous prosperity gospel preacher. Can I tell you, if your best life is right now, you're going to have a hard time in the next life. I want a better life in the next one. My best life is in front of me. It's not the here and the now, so we need to look at God's timing. God's timing for our welfare and prosperity is not here and now. It is the future. 
And we're not twisting Jeremiah 29, 11 to, to put this promise in the future. Remember the circumstances. Jeremiah is saying your immediate circumstance says 70 years of trials and tribulation. For some of you who are younger, it's going to be growing up for 70 years in another culture and in slavery. For some of you who are not as young, it's going to be the rest of your life. Every minute of your life from here on out, you will be enslaved. And in that context, Jeremiah says, but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to Wealth, plans for welfare and not for evil. And listen to this key phrase, to give you a future and a hope. When we think of God's prosperity for us, there is no promise that his prosperity is in our hands right here and right now. As a matter of fact, Jesus clearly says, in this world you're going to have tribulation and troubles and trials. Instead, God says, there is a future hope I want you to look to. To the nation of Israel, it was, there is a day when God is going to bring you back to your country. He's going to call you back home. And in that day, everything will be exactly how God intended it to be. And for you and I, as we apply that to our lives, we look to a future hope. And we realize there will be a day when God calls us home. When God brings us out of this, this world of trials and tribulation and gives us a future welfare that is promised to us. The truth is, God wants ultimately what is best for you. But that does not mean you will have what you feel is best right here and right now. God's timing is a, a future prosperity. As you read at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you, you read about streets of gold. You read about gates around a city that are made of huge, giant pearls that you can walk through. You read about all of these gems and these rubies that decorate buildings. You hear promises of mansions with many rooms that God is preparing for us to come and live with. We, we read about uh, uh, seas that are as clear as crystal. We read about all of this prosperous place that God is calling us to. And we know that we do not have that prosperity here and now. You know, the, the irony of God's timing is that when we finally receive the prosperity and the ultimate wellness that is promised to us, we won't care about it anymore. Do you know what else it says in the book of Revelation? It says we take the crowns that God has given us as kings and queens, as daughters and children and sons. and We take the wealth that God has given us and we throw it at his feet. The irony is that our prosperity and our welfare doesn't come with what we hold in our hands. But, but the timing of God is that we will ultimately know him completely and fully and lack for nothing. That's why the psalmist writes, I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God in other words, I'd rather be a servant at his doorstep than dwell in the tents of wickedness or live in this world who promises prosperity but doesn't give it to me. Jeremiah says, God has a plan for you to prosper, but it doesn't mean you're going to hold it now. God's ultimate plan is for your goodness. There is a condition that, that seems to be placed here in the book of Jeremiah as well. And you can ask which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the, the promise that comes first? Or is it, is it this condition that comes first? And, and which leads to which? And really it doesn't matter. They go hand in hand. 
this promise of, of welfare and not evil, this promise of a future hope, this promise of giving us all that we need and all we can desire just for us to, to give it back, this promise of being abundantly blessed goes hand in hand with this condition that we are seeking God. Now, I will argue that Jeremiah does not tell us, if you seek God, he will make you prosperous. But instead, the fact that God has blessed us causes us to seek him. Whether you look at it one way or another doesn't matter. Here's what's important for us to know. This promise is not for everyone. This promise was not made to all of the nations or the nations that were attacking Israel. This promise wasn't made to Assyria or Babylon or or Persia. It wasn't made to, to all the people on all the earth. It was made to the children of God. And the promise is that that God has a plan to prosper. And listen to verses 12 and 13. In the day of prosperity, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There will come a day when the blessings of God are ready to be poured out. And in that day, the blessings will come to all those who are seeking God. But the promise is not to come to those who are rebelling and running still. On that day, the blessing will come because the nation of Israel is worshiping. They are praying and they are seeking. And this isn't a a seeking in, I I came to church, right? This isn't a seeking that I I have a Bible and I read it occasionally. This isn't a seeking that that I know some Christian people or I do some good things or or I pray occasionally. No, this this is a type of seek that is putting everything aside and running after God's goodness and faithfulness. You'll find me, it says, when you seek me with all your heart. There's a promise of welfare. There's a promise of prosperity, ultimate goodness. There's a promise that that everything in the future ends with you and God in a right relationship. And you having such an abundant wealth that God has given you that you don't even want it anymore. You're so blessed by what God has done that you don't care about what holds in your what, what you hold in your hand. Money is no longer an issue. Houses and, and cars and possessions no longer matter. A job and an income mean nothing to you because of the blessing that God gives. And when do you receive that or how do you receive that? Jeremiah says it's when you, you seek with all your heart. When you say, God, it doesn't matter the tribulation I'm going through. I'm still going to pursue you. When you say, God, it doesn't matter whether I I have an abundance on earth. I'm going to pursue you. It doesn't matter if I have nothing in my pocket. I'm going to pursue you. It doesn't matter if you ask me to give up everything. I'm going to pursue you. It doesn't matter if you, you bless me and people think I'm doing great. I'm going to pursue you. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are, whether I have this job or that job, this income or that income, this house or that house, this car or that car. It doesn't matter whether the clothes I wear are new or from goodwill. It doesn't matter whether they're, they're moth-eaten and have holes in them. It doesn't matter whether everything I own is falling apart. Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I want everything that you have to give me. And that means the 70 years of tribulation. That means the trouble that may come my way. Because I know the plans that you have for me. I know your plans are for my ultimate goodness and prosperity. 
Not on this life. Not while I am walking here, but ultimately in your kingdom. There's a future hope that God is calling us all to. That future hope says that if you will confess your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ, if you will seek God with all of your heart, if you will lay yourself out and say, Lord, it's not about what I have or what I'm going through. It's, it's about me knowing you. The promise is that there is ultimately healing, prosperity, wealth, forgiveness, beyond what we can ever fathom or imagine. This morning, I wonder if instead of looking at Jeremiah 29, 11 and trying to, to make it about us here and now, Lord, will you give me more? You owe me more. Can we look to our future hope? Can we look at the day just as he calls the nation of Israel home? Can we look to a day that he would call us home? And are we seeking God in such a way to have confidence that he calls us to him? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for, for how much you care and love us. Lord, that your ultimate plan for us is our goodness. Lord, you really do want us to be happy and prosperous. And, and Lord, have all the welfare you've, you've offered us. Lord, forgive us for twisting this and demanding things of you in the here and the now. Forgive us for expecting things to go smooth when your word clearly teaches that we're going to have trouble and trials. Lord, forgive us for turning you into some sort of cosmic vending machine where, where we pray and demand. Lord, instead, let us look to our future. Let us look to the day that you call us home. Lord, many of us in here are, are prepared. We've, we've committed to follow you with all of our heart. Lord, I know many of us in here have, have never committed to seek you. Lord, for the first time, we're understanding that that we don't trust you and seek you because you've promised to, to make our current life and our current situation better. But this is the first time we're hearing that, that following you may actually bring more trouble and more trials. Lord, send your spirit to awaken hearts to, to be reminded that the price that we pay here on earth, the struggles that we go through here on earth, Lord, the, the difficulties that we endure here on earth, all fade away in the promise of those who seek you. Father, we know that some in here who, who have been seeking you have not been seeking you with all their heart. Lord, we ask forgiveness for this as well. Lord, so many dangers in Scripture that we weren't able to go into a, of those who, who call you Lord and, and yet, yet you don't know who they are. Lord, they do a few good things, but they're not really seeking. Lord, they're still looking for their own comfort. Lord, we pray that we would confess sins to you and ask you to save us from our own sins, our own mistakes, our own rebellion. Lord, we trust that you know what's best for our lives, and so we submit to you even in difficulty. Lord, we praise you when you give, and we praise you when you take away. Lord, let everything we do be, be with the, the future in mind, with heaven in mind, with home in mind. Lord, stir our hearts this morning to seek you with all of our heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen.